The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television shows that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and IGN, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I currently write reviews for IGN and criticallyacclaimed.net, and uh, I am hungover like crazy from the Christmas season. That's right. You had, had so much gingerbread. It's oozing out of your very orifices. Not so much gingerbread, but cinnamon rolls were the, were the great bugaboo this year. Ooh. Because I baked a batch myself for Christmas breakfast, and uh, my sister also baked a batch for Christmas breakfast. <laughs> so we had a lot of lot of cinnamony bread. Yeah, these are it the was problems quite, you want to have. Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of first world problems, I understand. But, you know, we... we Heartily stuffed ourselves. What did you what did, what did you get for Christmas? Like, what's noteworthy? What, what would the people be, What would mm. the people be interested to hear? Hmm. Well, uh, my my loving, wonderful wife uh, got me the means to fix my bicycle. Ah. Uh, my bike has been out of commission, and I've been a little bit bummed out about that. And now I can get a, get it fixed, and that'll oh. be really great. That's great. That's <laughs> I can actually, great. ride my bike and maybe slim down a little bit. That's yeah. Well, I mean, it'll help. Okay. Or I can just increase my intake of Doritos and even things out a little bit. Thank you. We're, we're <laughs> asymmetrical and it's a problem. Um, I got a bunch of cool stuff. My wife got me a limited editions uh, The Shining sweater. Okay. It's designed after the uh, signature uh, uh, carpet design. Mm. Looks great. It's the one that uh, Stanley Kubrick included as a clue that he faked the Apollo moon landings. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just for fun. Yeah. He's it's like, <laughs> I know more people are going to look for the clues. In my horror movie. Mm. Uh, I got a Hellraiser puzzle box Rubik's Cube, which I'm playing with right now. Mm. Turns easy, too. Yeah, it's nice. It's real good quality. Yeah, I like it a lot. The opposite sides are the same, though, so it must is, does that make it more or less difficult to complete? Uh, it makes it easier to complete, but they, they're not perfect. So, like, it uh, looks okay, okay. but it, once you, like, actually, like, look up... Like the circular <laughs> bit with like the interior prongs, mm. they don't quite match up. You oh, see, yeah. so it's close All enough right. that if you weren't paying attention, yeah, you, it's you, a sh- real... you should maybe like get colored markers and like color coat each side. And yeah, uh, that would probably sure, simplify yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to dingus. Um, but no, it was real, real nice. I got a bunch of nice books and some new clothes, and uh, it was just it was nice. And the cat. Got a whole bunch of uh, fun toys. He has been playing with a laser pointer for a bit. Yeah, we, the laser pointer's on the table here if you want to distract the cat during the show. Because yeah. I'm sure that's what the listeners want to hear. I'm sure he's going to get into the sink at some point mm-hmm. like he does. Well, you know, if, if he's eternally distracted by that, then it's also a useful tool as well as a toy. Indeed. Mm. But uh, that was then. And this is now. And uh, this is finally the time when we're going to talk about a show we were supposed to review two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, before before stuff got in the way. Circum- you know, we we've been able to sort of provide in the meantime. 
We had a few special guests in the meantime for our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, like a uh, we, bunch of cool we, stuff. We were able to get we were able to get a, a couple uh, interesting pilots in. Uh, one incredibly boring pilot uh, in Space Show the Show, but uh, we're finally getting around to a WB program from the early two thousands that Which, we've been promising for a while. Well, we've been trying to track it down for a while. You'd think TV shows from like the the twenty first century would be relatively easy to find. Like, oh, it's some obscure show from the 70s that no one mm. cared about. Maybe that'll be hard to find, and often they are. From 2003, it should not have taken us multiple years to track this down. And I think the the difficulty in finding this series might have built it up a little bit too much. <laughs> this is no gem, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be This is no diamond in the rough. But it is... Uh, it uh, is join mere, us. Merely lost. Join us for this merely rough show. Uh, this is the WB's Tarzan. I have all these feelings that I've never had before. Everything depends on him. What is it? Something's wrong. She's going to be a problem for us. Your nephew, he's alive. Get out of my house. Tarzan series premiere. Tarzan! Paradise untouched by man. Um, This is not uh, anything to do with the Disney show or the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Or the Disney show that came from the Disney movie, or the Broadway show. Yep. Um, All of which, the Disney movie was 1999, and mm-hmm. that was a pretty big hit. And But the thing with Tarzan is that he's been in public domain since forever. Yeah, He's yeah. one of the most adapted characters mm-hmm. in literature, at least when it comes to cinema. And on top of that, he's one of the most influential characters. The canon of Edgar Rice Burroughs, who created Tarzan and also created uh, John, John Carter. Carter yeah. It's really had an indelible impact on pulp storytelling. Uh, the popularity of that kind of adventure novel, and not not high adventure novel, like we talked about Treasure Island, for instance, and that is considered sort of part of the children's literary canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarzan, not, like maybe the first Tarzan, but the whole body of work of Edgar Rice Burroughs is seen as maybe on a slowly, slightly lower literary tier. Look, it's still it's, great lit. It's fun to still read. Still fun to read, but yeah, not... It's pretty superficial. There's yeah, not a lot not, not, to not it. Not complex. It is just an adventure story. But it's a really notable adventure story that everybody knows. Uh, the the town Tarzana was named after him. Yeah, the yeah. center of it was his old ranch. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Edgar Rice Burroughs was he was a failed businessman in a lot of ways, but he eventually found his niche writing pulpy stories uh, about acts of heroism, uh, usually for like uh, uh, strong white men who end mm. up in weird places. Okay. So John Carter winds up on Mars in this massive <coughs> alien civil war, and because he's transported to Mars and the gravity is different, it's like he has a whole bunch of superpowers, and he ends up saving the whole planet. In Tarzan, as you oh, sure and, and, and he teams up with like a naked alien babe. Don't, Who is don't, a great character. She's a great character, but there's definitely like a, a fantasy fulfillment going on. There's in that definitely story, a cheesecake yeah. factor. Uh, and then in Tarzan, you sh- I'm sure you know the story, but uh, an, uh, an upper-class British family, the Greystokes, uh, crash in Africa. 
the parents die, and the baby is raised by a colony of apes, and he basically becomes a badass of the jungle, and then when a, a, a an explorer and his daughter Jane are exploring, they run into him, Tarzan and Jane develop a thing for one another, bada-bing, a whole bunch of adventures. Mm. Um, Tarzan has been adapted many times. The old Johnny Weissmuller movies, especially the first oh, two, are still fir- probably the best. The second one is the best. The first two are both pretty great. The first two are, are yeah. really Tar- excellent. Tar- Tarzan the Ape Man and Tarzan and his mate are both from the 1930s, pre-code adventure stories. So there's like nudity and sex in those things. Actual That's nudity, yeah. yeah. And uh, and yeah, Johnny Weissmuller. I mean, they pomaded his hair. He's, he's this <laughs> white Olympic swimmer, but you know, whatever. He he was he he, he did the job. Codified the role. Mm-hmm. His, when, when, his when, signature. Uh, oh, 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 I can't do it, but that became the Tarzan noise. The Tarzan noise showed up in Return of the Jedi. No. Do you remember when Chewbacca did it? I don't remember. There's a that. scene in Return of the Jedi where Chewbacca makes that noise. I don't remember that. That's amazing. Yeah. I know they always it, put it, it, Wilhelm it, in there, but I didn't realize they put a Tarzan. That's yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Well, it's like a Chewbacca version of the Tarzan yell, and it's the most horrible thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tarzan is considered by some to be a great adventure story. Tarzan also has an ugly cultural cachet. Yeah, there's because a lot it's, of colonialism all over that film. Uh, there's a great scene in Spike Lee's latest film, Black Klansman, mm-hmm. uh, in which... Uh, Harry Belafonte. No, no, not Harry Belafonte talks about uh, Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. It's Corey Hawkins who talks about Tarzan oh, right, 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 right. and okay. how Tarzan as like, the, I conflated as, the two, but yeah, yeah as, there's two speeches <laughs> in, in black Klansman about mm. sort of the negative effects of pro white cinema mm. on black culture and black safety. And, uh, Corey Hawkins has a bit about how he would watch the old Tarzan movies and he would cheer for Tarzan, not realizing as a kid that he was being brainwashed into cheering against his own, his own people. Yeah. And it, it, how it's insidious about, yeah, that the, is. The white guy sort of chasing off and beating the, the black characters who are seen as this, like, mob. Yeah. N- none of the black characters have any character. They're just sort of a mob of natives. And you can go right back to it. Again, a lot of these old early adventure stories, like the old H. Rider Haggard type things, mm-hmm. are very much uh, white people go to non-white place and <coughs> kick a lot of butt. Mm-hmm. And it's usually quite ugly. <coughs> To, to, to the modern ugly. eye, yes. Yes. And even at the time, there were still some complaints. Mm. So, uh, Tarzan is an odd creation. He's a very influential creation. You know, you look at a lot of... Batman, oh, I think, owes a lot to Tarzan. Mm. He vanished for a long time. He was the heir to this empire. And then he is rediscovered again after oh. all these international travels where he became a badass. That's the Tarzan mold. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's the Tarzan mold, and it's leaked into modern filmmaking uh, thanks to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Who, uh, you know, they grew up on the cinema that sprung directly from Edgar Rice Burroughs. They watched those old Tarzan movies. They watched these old adventure serials that were derived directly from Edgar Rice Burroughs' works. And thanks to the movies they made based on those stuff like Indiana Jones, we now have generations of knockoffs and imitators that are still trying to aspire to it. So Tarzan is still a very active part of adventure cinema. Mm. Um, he's also seen as a kind of a romantic figure. Uh, he's naked. That's, uh, that's actually like an important feature of his, that yeah. he doesn't wear any clothes. That's very freeing and it's very alluring and it's very titillating. The character of Jane Porter, mm-hmm. uh, is usually portrayed as a free spirited, 
mm. free thinking, very intelligent, but somewhat rebellious, uh, a young woman at a time when young women weren't really rewarded for that kind of behavior typically mm. in society. <coughs> so she's off with her father doing a whole bunch of adventurous things, and she runs into a mostly naked, sexually powerful man who worships her mm. in in every way. And and can, like, carry her into trees and show her romantic locales. And it's... It's it, a fantasy. It, it's, 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 yeah, it's a woman's sex fantasy. Yeah. It's where we got a lot of uh, ro- romance book covers of, you know, the, the woman who's swooning backward while the very hunky shirtless man is holding her, leaning over to kiss her. How weird is it? I know he's not an actor, but that never stopped a lot of people. Mm. How weird is it that Fabio never played Tarzan? It's a little odd. Uh, he, right? I think he was always a little too... I don't know. Like, he wasn't lithe enough. But you, I still think bulky. Would, I still think someone would have done a shitty made-for-TV movie, yeah. though. Like, we, we can um, get him. I mean, if, if you want to talk about, like, way too attractive for this world actors to play Tarzan, Casper Van Dien did it. Yes. In a really awful, uh, oh, it was like, was 9, it? 98 or something. Tarzan like, City of... The Legend of the City, Legend of the Lost City, Tar- Tarzan oh, and the Tarzan of the Tarzan. Le- the Le- Legend of Tarzan was the one, uh, mo- the most recent one, the David Yates film. Oh, and that movie sucks. And that movie's pretty bad. A good cast though. Great the cast, cast is perfect. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård played Tarzan. Uh, played Tarzan. Good casting. Margot Robbie played Jane. Perfect casting. And, and Christoph Waltz played the bad guy. And Samuel Jackson played like the other hunter along for the ride. That's an amazing cast. How do you screw that up? David Yates. David Yates kind just of kind made of screwed it a it up. boring movie. I don't know how you make Tarzan boring. How do you make Tarzan boring? He's running around the jungle. He's like fighting stampedes with his bare hands and. You know, there's a cool bit. One of my favorite, like, pulp action scenes ever is in the original Tarzan Mm. with Johnny Weissmuller. And it's after Tarzan had saved Jane, but everyone thinks Tarzan has kidnapped Jane. So all the a-hole hunters in the the exploring Mm. commission, whatever, (laughs) uh, they run off to to kill Tarzan. Mm. They end up shooting one of Tarzan's various ape friends. Mm. And Tarzan has never seen a gun before. So he's kind of like the what? How did you? How did you dead that thing? And he's furious. So they take Jane, and then there's an extended sequence of Tarzan, like in shadows, super creepy, just picking off the entire expedition one by one. <laughs> it's and like it's, sl- that's right. It's like a slasher movie. It is. It's really, really cool. There's a real threat to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I don't understand how you make Tarzan boring. I understand how you make it bad. I don't understand how you make it boring. Mm-hmm. Boring is pretty impressive. Which brings us to the 2003 television series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, at this point, the WB, which ran this show from, <laughs> okay, now, from we, October 5th through, through November 23rd, 2003, mm-hmm. uh, the WB had already made a name for itself as they started off kind of mixed bag, trying a whole bunch of things, a whole well, bunch they, of sitcoms. They, and they started out with sitcoms. Mostly that was, sitcoms. That was, uh, and they, I think they were trying to, like, out Fox Fox, like they were trying really. They had their own version of Married with Children. Yeah, they had the Wayne ribble, Brothers, ribbled uh, and titillating and kind of crass uh, comedies for the most part. There were yeah. some that were not necessarily crass, but they weren't classy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was sort of their stock and trade when they first launched. And then eventually, they figured out that what they were really good at was sort of teen adventure type shows. 
Heroes, and Smallville well, and, and, became and one ro- of their flagship programs, and with, Charmed uh, did as well. W- with uh, very important romantic underpinnings. That yeah. was a very important element. Basically, YA fiction, mm. before YA fiction like it blew up, there's always been YA fiction, but like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what we hit the zeitgeist in the mid 2000s. When we refer to YA fiction, yeah, we refer to that particular the, boom. The post Harry Potter boom. Right, right, but right. But before that, the, the WB was all over it. And mm-hmm. a lot of it was because they were trying to rip off Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then after <laughs> they ripped off Buffy the Vampire Slayer and got themselves a Smallville, mm-hmm. then they were like, oh, I know what we should do. We should do this with everything. And so they tra- they did it with Beauty and the Beast eventually. Mm-hmm. and But first they did it with but Tarzan. Not, not with the other Beauty and the Beast. Which, which this Tarzan very closely resembles. A lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Uh, this it also resembles gargoyles in a lot of ways. But we'll, well talk about yes. that. <laughs> uh, this version of Tarzan was created by Eric Kripke. Eric Kripke has a pretty notable career in television. Mm. He created Supernatural, a TV show which is still going. It's one of the longest running, like, <laughs> hour long TV shows in history. And good for them. Honestly, it's a fun show. Uh, he also created Timeless, which. Was one of those shows that was too expensive for its own good, but even though it was canceled after its first season, people liked it so much they brought it back yeah, for a little bit yeah. longer. So we can't cover it. No, um, we were excited. Actually, we were excited when Timeless was canceled because we put it we put it on the docket immediately. Well, we had and, and, then, <laughs> and then they renewed it, so we had to take it off. The season when Timeless premiered, there was like four time travel TV shows. Yeah, in one year that all. Tanked after one season or less, and we well, were like, "Perfect, we're gonna do a whole month of them of nothing but time travel." Like, shows. Time after time, and that mm. one sitcom on Fox, I can't remember time something. And the frequency was in there. Frequency, I think. yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I think it was the, that same year was also the Stephen King miniseries with James Franco, where he time travels to save. Yeah, Kennedy. but that was yeah. a miniseries. It was a miniseries, but you know, time yeah. travel was on people's minds. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he Eric Kipke's had a long, mm. pretty cool career in the industry, and one of his first big credits was. This Tarzan show, and the premise of this Tarzan show is, unlike most Tarzans, where they go into the jungle and Tarzan gets in a whole bunch of adventures with the jungle, Mm. here they have brought Tarzan back to the city and they're playing up the whole urban jungle idea with him running around on rooftops, doing parkour before parkour mm. had hit the popular consciousness thanks to films like District B-13. And uh, not really recognizable as parkour because he just sort of like jumps off stuff. He doesn't really do parkour. He just sort of like leaps off of ledges occasionally. But the principle is the same. I I guess it's a proto parkour. Proto parkour. It's 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 somewhat noteworthy. I remember thinking like, oh, this wants to come out right after District B thirteen, and looked it up. I'm like, no, this predates District B thirteen. Holy crap! And good for them. Now Tarzan in the city is not a new novel concept. No. Edgar Rice Burroughs put him in the city. The latest Tarzan movie was started with him in the city. It was like the adventures of old Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Like he had already come out of the jungle and lived in the city for a while and had to go back to the jungle. I think Johnny Weissmuller went to the city once, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was one of the later I, ones. I didn't see he, it. He ended up fighting Nazis. He did all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. And listen, he came from the city. He mm. he owns land. He inherited land. Mm. And like and like titles and property. So, so he, like it made sense for him to go yeah, back eventually. He wasn't just a, a jungle dweller. Uh, so in this one, uh Tarzan, Greystoke the Greystoke Corporation, Greystoke Industries, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um the his parents ran it. Uh they died in a plane crash. Everyone assumed he had died as well. Uh, but then his cousin? It's his uncle. It's his uncle. Yeah. His uncle, played by Mitch Pileggi mm-hmm. from The X-Files, finds him, realizes <laughs> that this is a whole legal bag of worms. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So he takes he, him. He, he, yeah. 
it's not really clear. Like the timeline isn't very clear. Like when he picked this guy up, how long he's been looking after Tarzan in the city, but he's, yeah, Mitch Pelagi has found Tarzan and has brought him back to New York mm. and has been looking after him when at the the outset of the series he escapes. Yeah, Tarzan has a has a nasty tendency of you know, you have a nasty tendency to of escaping, don't you, Tarzan? <laughs> um and on one of his many merry escapes he runs into a detective played by Sarah Wayne Callies from Prison Break and the first couple of seasons of Walking Dead. And that's Jane. That's Jane. And Jane's a cop. Jane's a cop. And there's a bunch of like, ho, ho, we should have sex someday. No, no, we shouldn't. But maybe we should. I am. Mm. Now, Tarzan is played by Hunky McBeeferson. Um, Travis Fimmel. Travis Fimmel, who is an Australian model. He didn't, hadn't done much acting before this. He was no. just a model. Yeah. And, no, surely not. And even if you hadn't known that, you might be able to intuit it by watching Tarzan. He's not an actor. He got okay. He, he's had a long acting <laughs> career since well, this. And he's, he's moved, gone on to like, the Vikings and stuff. Yeah, he was, but, he was the star of Warcraft. And mm. I know you're not a fan, what? but I don't think the movie's his fault, even if you're not a fan. Was he the human or was he like... One he was of the, the orcs human. in motion capture. He's okay. fine. He's I, fine. I, I don't remember the it's humans not a, in that movie it's, at all. It's, you, you, you don't remember, like, kind of drunk Ben Foster? I remember kind of drunk Ben Foster, and I remember kind of drunk Paula, uh, Paula Patton, but yeah. I don't remember many of the other characters. I like that movie more than most, but fair mm. enough. I'm not going to fight it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he makes his debut here, and he is... Just shirtless and clean shaved and long well, and I long nineties porn star hair. Yeah, it, it's Hanson hair, is what it is. Yeah. He has he has the Zach Hansen's hairdo. So like straight blonde, so kind of kind of blocking part of his face. Um, I watched part of part of an episode with my wife, and there was this really painful montage, and I think it's just the second or third episode where. Tarzan is just walking. He's just walking through the city, and it's interminable. And they're playing one of those really insufferable early two thousands lovish rock ballads. And he's just walking around the city. And my wife commented, "He can't even act while he's walking. Yeah. Like he he has that too much of the runway in his legs. Like he's trying to to parade himself around. Well, he's he posing. That's the thing. And I yeah. think I think at some point, someone told Travis Fimmel. This is a bodice ripper. Mm. That's the story. Like everything else, the crime solving, the intrigue, mm. the the mystery with your uncle, all of that. It's secondary. Window dressing, we're here because we want you and Sarah Wayne Callies mm. to eventually have sex. Now, here's the problem with that. If the if it's supposed and the, if it's supposed to be a bodice ripper, Where's the bodice ripping? Yeah, rip Where, that where's, bodice! Where's, where's the, the naked passion? Where's the beefcake and the cheesecake and the bodies mashed up against each other under a waterfall? There's a few titillating moments where we see him with his shirt off, especially mm-hmm. in the first episode. We get to see that sort of glory shot of his and abs. There's, and there's one episode later mm-hmm. on where they end up like actually like in the woods. Yeah, and like, like, yeah, he like yeah. sexily teaches her how to climb a tree. And, and that, that's like when the, the only moment when the show felt like, oh, this is Tarzan now. Yeah. And yeah, and it's like 
pulling her up a tree. I've never climbed a tree before. Well, I am Tarzan. And they swing, not well, on a vine, on a rope swing. One of the problems, like they're at summer camp. One of the problems is if you're going to do like an urban mm. Tarzan, which has been done before, uh, there's a 1988, 89 movie called Wild Thing that was written by John Sayles mm. that was basically Tarzan, but he was raised like on the streets and he like uses like trash to make like primitive weapons <laughs> to kill drug dealers because he's in love with someone. Sounds amazing. It's, it, it, it actually is, but it stars Robert Nepper, who turns out is a massive creep. Oh, and oh it's, wow, yeah. It's really gross. But before I knew that, the movie was quite good. <laughs> um, it can be done. But in that situation, in that storyline, he's in his natural environment. Here, he's a fish out of water, mm. and it's not from his perspective. If it was yep. from his perspective, you could have pulled it off. But it's not from his perspective. <coughs> it's from Jane's perspective. And her story isn't as interesting as his. Her well, story it- is, should I have sex with him? No, and maybe the the chemistry was better, and the setup was better when they used this exact same premise in that in the nineteen eighties Beauty and the Beast with yes. Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. That was I haven't seen that in a long mm. time. I remember it being a really good show. I, I yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, same, I haven't seen it is many many years. But yeah, I remember it being like they was, took the drama quite seriously. And the, it was a huge hit. The, I mean, Ron Perlman is a great actor, and uh, you know, Linda Hamilton has a great strong pre- uh, presence, and they had good chemistry together. So when their romance started to bud in that show, it's like, oh, this is kind of believable that she'd fall in love with this thing that lives in a sewer, and she's going to it to help her solve crimes in the surreptitious sort of way. It felt kind of organic, weirdly. But here, the problem is, mm. because he is out of his element, mm. because he, cause like when, when Jane meets Tarzan in the jungle, she's intelligent, and mm. she's well-educated, but... She doesn't know the jungle, and she actually has a lot to learn, and it actually makes sense for him to protect her a bit. Mm-hmm. Here, he's pretty helpless. Like, he can fight, but he doesn't understand why or what's a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand that he's being used as a pawn in this huge, you know, soap operatic, who will own the company, uh-huh. you know, bullshit B-plot. <laughs> um, and frankly, his lack of experience with human connection makes him uncomfortably childlike. Well, and they could have played that up had we had more time for the fish-out-of-water relationship between him and Jane. Mm. If Jane was looking after him in some way or teaching him about the modern world. In in only a few episodes, he lives like just in an alley somewhere, like not even a descript lair. He's just in an alleyway in New York somewhere, mm-hmm. like hanging out on a rooftop. What he's doing there, I don't know. We don't see what he's doing. We don't see his home. I don't understand how you want to like, you want to take him to New York and you want to make him live in New York. That's where the show's going to stay. Mm-hmm. And And you don't have him live in Central Park. Yeah. He lives yeah. in Central Park. Or, or Problem yeah. Central Park is huge. <laughs> you can play with that. You can work with that. Mm. That could be his new jungle. That could be his new base yeah, and, of operations. And, and here's what you do. Like, like they go around to, to other people who are also living in the park. Some homeless yeah. people is like, oh, beware of the new god that lives here. It's like, you know, it's, there's some sort of intrigue or mystery in finding him and you can do build whole, him up before a, you even meet him. It's a tale of two cities kind of story where you mm-hmm. have like these rich Greystoke people and cops who are like in charge of keeping peace and order. But underneath it all, there's the mm-hmm. seedier side which is kind of primal in a lot of ways, and Tarzan actually oddly fits in there. That's your show. <laughs> but that's not what we got. No. no. Um, oh, God. Okay, so uh, the, the story kicks off when, I, I guess, so yeah, Tarzan's living in New York. Yep. 
Uh, he escapes from Mitch Pelleggi, he, he, he runs Pelleggi, into Jane. Uh, also, Mitch Pelleggi has a sister who's played by Lucy Lawless, who also has now just learned of Tarzan's existence. By, they like, call, two episodes in. Two episodes. But uh, nobody calls him Tarzan, they call him John, because his name is John Clayton. Briefly, he mentions at the beginning that Tarzan is the name he gave himself in the jungle, mm-hmm. which you would think he would insist upon more often yeah, if please. he was really taking that seriously. I but he Tarzan, doesn't. please. He, they yeah. use the word Tarzan, I think, two or three times. The, yeah. the please, John the was my father. Call me Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tarzan was my father. I'm just Tarzan. Uh, but, uh, so yeah... He gets involved in some violent fracas, and a uh, cop dies, and it turns out this cop was Jane's boyfriend. Yeah, so at the beginning, Jane has a boyfriend. It seems like they're pretty healthy. They're, he's also a cop, but mm. it's not super awkward around the workplace. She is portrayed as a very by-the-books cop. Doesn't go with mm. her gut. And they, they give her a, a teenage sidekick, just to stress this point, that they dispense with pretty early on. In, really in, in the form of Leighton Meester. Oh, that's her sister. Yeah. Yeah, Leighton Meester is in this before she became anyone you'd recognize. Mm. Um, and boy, does she have nothing to do. Not a dang she's, thing. She's Sarah Wayne Callie. She's, she's Jane's roommate slash sister. Mm. There's a one scene where she meets Tarzan and she's just like, oh my, the vapors. Yeah. And I get it. Uh, there's another scene. There's another episode where she's worried about her friend who went missing and that's like the episodic storyline as her friends in an abusive relationship. Mm. And then... That's it, really. She gets dragged into it a little bit, mm. but she's not even there as like a confidant. She's not even there yeah. for like Sarah to really talk about all. You think that would be like she's the there, one person you could talk to? That would be there, her function. She's there in the pilot only to stress that Jane is a by the books cop because they couldn't communicate that any other way. It's one of those great like introductory scenes. Like watch the first scene mm. with her and her sister, and, and then, it's nothing but exposition. Every single line yeah. of dialogue is, "Well, and then, you're the detective." Well, okay. And here's the weird thing: we we're introduced to like there's that big you know violent opening scene, and then we're introduced to Jane, and she's waking up, and they play sort of like a, a hip upbeat pop song. And the pop song is a song called Everybody Got There Something by an artist named Nick Acosta, who I'm actually a big fan of. Mm. And that's kind of a funky song. It's fun to listen to. It doesn't exemplify Jane at all. Like It's, <laughs> it's good filmmaking because it propels, you know, propels the scene forward, but it, it does not match the character. No. Uh, she does have a partner played by Miguel A. Nunez mm. Jr. I like uh, him. I, the, uh, he had more character than anybody else on the show. He's actually a really good actor, and he doesn't mm. get enough credit for it. Uh, he, one of his first roles was in Friday the 13th, The New Beginning. He, uh, he, he dies in a porta potty. It's uh, Oh, that guy. Yeah, oh, golly. It's a rough scene. Yeah. It's a rough scene, and he, he makes it work mm. to his credit. Uh, <laughs> let's see. He was in Slam Dunk Ernest. He was in oh, Leprechaun golly. 4 in space. I've seen all these dang yep, things. Yep, he was in Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. I didn't see that. He was in Scooby-Doo and Juana Man and The Adventures of Pluto Nash. So he has this tendency mm. to show up in bad movies but be good in them. Everybody needs to fulfill something. What do you think Ava Green's been doing her whole career? Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's her partner here. Mm. He's good. He gets to be the voice of reason, which you kind of need in something like this, because every once in a while, Jen would be like, oh, no, Tar- I know the kidnapping victim is mm. is is going to die real, real soon, but trust me, it's faster to let Tarzan smell for him than to well, call in backup. And he's just like, dude. Here's the problem, because they the way they set Tarzan up, and you can tell they didn't know what to do with this, mm-hmm. is they kind of frame him for the murder of a cop. 
Yeah, so Sarah Wayne Kelly's only, boyfriend is but jealous only, of Tarzan. Mm. He wants to hunt Tarzan down, and then there's a big altercation, and then he falls off a building, and they're not mm. able to and, save him, and it looks like Tarzan killed him. And Jane, throughout the course of the series, has to cover for Tarzan, just knowing in her heart of hearts that he's okay, that he didn't kill her boyfriend. Well, she she was there. <clears throat> she knew he didn't kill him. Well, she, she, she knows it was an accident. But But there's no reason why she needs to cover for this guy. She's she's covering for him. Here's the story. I'm not saying I'd buy it for I'd buy it. But here's here's the story she's telling. Because he is an innocent, because he is being he's a pawn in this weird corporate game that like basically telling the whole world he's alive and he might be a cop killer is not in his best interests. Mm. So she's trying to cover it up. At first it seems like she's gonna have to live with this guilt, but generally speaking, no harm, no foul. Everyone thinks he just fell. But then it turns out there's a witness. Mm. Who saw it, and then she goes to the witness, which is really bad, and she should not be doing that as a cop. <laughs> but she does, and she says, hey, what'd you see? And he was just like, oh, I saw it was an accident. She's like, great. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, thank God. All right, everything's fine. But then Mitch Pilecki finds out there's a witness, and all of a sudden, he's just like, it was murder! It was Callahan! Callahan did this to me! <laughs> I know my rights! I know my rights! It was Tarzan! <laughs> Uh, but yeah, all of a sudden his his mm-hmm. his story has changed. He's being strong-armed into... Uh, basically, if Mitch Pilecki... Mm. Can get Tarzan in jail for murder, he yeah. can legally strip away all his rights to his parents' and, corporation. And rightfully keep the company that he's currently running. Uh, Lucy Lawless claims, I have a feeling they would have twisted this at some point, but she claims that she doesn't want the corporation. If she had the corporation, she'd give it all away to charity, but she wants to protect her nephew, Tarzan. Mm. Uh, I kept having this sneaking suspicion that after Mitch Pileggi was put away or something, she would like cackle wildly, like, ha ha! Now my evil scheme can commence because it's Lucy Lawless. You wanted to do something cool. Well, here, here's what I kept hoping would happen. You know, Jane would sort of like get distracted. She had a boyfriend at the beginning of the show. She'd find a new love interest, and it would be revealed that Lucy Lawless's first name was actually Jane, and she'd take over as Jane. Because she would be a much better Jane, damn it. She would be a much better Jane. <laughs> the age difference and also the whole blood relation thing would be weird. Well, just change that part of the show. I know. I know. Just it's always cast frust- Lucy Lawless as Jane. I she was watching. Um, uh, we're going to talk about this on our uh, bonus podcast for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, only the best. We review uh, every Best Picture nominee ever in order. And I, fu- I just got to Forty Second Street, which I had seen before, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen in a long time. And I'd forgotten. It's this big musical. It's all about putting on a show in the Great Depression. It's wonderful. It's, it's mm. one of the best movies of its kind. Um, but the protagonist is not Ginger Rogers. It's from the <laughs> early days of Ginger Rogers' career before they'd put her front and center. Mm. So Ginger Rogers is like eighth build. And the whole plot revolves around Ginger Rogers eventually saying, I shouldn't be the star of the show. This girl should be the star of the show. And you're watching, I'm like, well, that's bullshit. You're Ginger Rogers. You're Ginger freaking Rogers. And I'm looking at this other girl. She's good. You're no Ginger Rogers. (laughs) Ginger Rogers is Ginger Rogers. Like, no one else was as good as Ginger Rogers. So it doesn't play. So when you've got Lucy Lawless in here, Sarah Wayne Callies, I like her as an actor, but she sometimes feels like she's being like well, she's, I don't, forced into the wrong peg. Well, you here, know? here's here's the problem with this show. Every single episode feels like it was taken over by a different showrunner. Because yeah. the tone and the premise seems to change episode by episode, and the characters do as well. Apart from Tarzan, who's always just a hunk of butt steak. <laughs> uh, there's, like, he's a hunk of butt steak throughout. That's it. But Jane, yeah, Jane is either steely by the books cop, mm. naive and over her head, 
or like a, a complete romantic innocent or just completely baffled by everything. And there are way too many scenes of her like looking wide eyed at somebody, not believing everything. And, and she all of a sudden emerges as this sort of like timid little girl when she's supposed to be like an adult cop who's in charge of everything. I feel like what they were getting at. And I, I don't think they came. It, it's not that she's revealing romantic like vulnerability or she's unsure of herself. It, it just, her character changes. I, I, I was looking at it. Like the mm-hmm. way that it worked for me is she's got her whole life figured out. Mm hmm. And then something happens to her, a chance occurrence, a chance encounter, a chance uh, uh, circumstance. And all of a sudden she realizes, oh, I wasn't fully aware that I had a kink. <laughs> you was, know, like it was for jungle men. Yeah, like like yeah. 32 years old, all of a sudden you realize you're into BDSM. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden I realize I'm into this kind of weird role playing. Mm. And I get to live it out for realsies. Well, that, and would, like, that would be fine if there were sex in the show. I know, that's no the sex thing. in the show. Yeah, they never get to it. It should be about mm. their, like, she is a woman of her time. She is very controlled and very reserved. And all of a sudden, she can't control herself because Tarzan is so hot and he yeah. wants her. So have a scene where she's staring out a window, you know, like in, in a negligee, staring at Tarzan across the way. And they have that sort of sexual I mean, masturbatory moment, whatever it is. It's hackneyed, but it's why it. we're here. <laughs> it's, that's the only reason we're here. Yeah. It's the only reason you cast this hunk of butt steak as Tarzan to begin with. <laughs> Say hunk of butt steak. Hunk of butt steak. Get get those people in under things and have them rub bodies. Goodness sake, you're the WB. You know what you're doing. Good God. There's, get Sex this thing up. They, they so, made a sexy Tarzan with no sex. So like the, in the pilot, we get this sense that there's this immediate attraction, but mm. then the dude dies, and now they have to be... And that's the thing. For like the next like five episodes, and there's only eight of these bad mm. boys, uh... For the next five episodes, they have to be pulled apart. Just be like, no, we can't see each other. We can't talk. And I'm like, that's not what we're here. You can do that, you can do that for like one episode. Mm. One episode where she's not sure of herself and then she's like, no, I cannot resist you. Yeah. That's that's what you want. But instead, we get like five episodes of her struggling, trying not to get involved in his life. And separate, he's just not that interesting. And the show eventually finds, briefly, actually, uh, finds a rhythm where mm, she's, yeah, she's got a case of the week. Mm. She's got a case of the week. Tarzan helps. Yeah, that's well, it. And that's, 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 that's not that's a like bad three, setup. That's like three of the episodes until the arc stuff takes over. And right. uh, but yeah, in, in one there's a kidnapped boy, and Tarzan has superpowers. He has super tracking skills mm-hmm. and parkour, and can crash through windows. That's his superpower. He's good at crashing through windows. Drink every time he crashes through a window, and you'll be dead. There's an abusive uh, boyfriend storyline. We already talked yeah. about that with Laid Meester. Uh, Tarzan's trying to track her down. Um, there's one other. Uh, there was a bunch of there was a bunch of like attackers well. in the Central Park. Right, right, right. And a um, hmm. couple others. <laughs> couple other episodes. You're going to have to look these things up because, good it God. It really kinda... makes no impression. Hold mm-hmm. on. Okay, so there's the wages of the sin. Dis- disappeared st- child story. Kid missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- 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 witness testifying. Mad <laughs> uh, <laughs> guy over internet. Yeah. yeah. So so there's a few cases of the week. And if, if they had, again, if they had a showrunner that was willing to cleave to that structure. That's just what it is. Tarzan she, helps a cop f- solve crimes. That's a stupid premise, but I can wrap my head around it. It's that. just cop working with vigilante. The vigilante mm. this time is Tarzan. Mm. 
I've heard I've heard better ideas for a show. God knows, the, but I've heard worse. I mean, you know what? They already did it with Beauty and the Beast. It worked there. It's so a perfectly okay structure. I guess enough time had passed that they can rip it off in two thousand three, and we're okay. It's like twenty five years later. Why not? Yeah, um, it's not twenty five years. It's like fifteen years later. It's like fifteen years later. Okay, yeah. Still, it's enough time. No, no, no. Like, uh, you, yeah, could, you, you could have done it the next year, and I wouldn't have given you, a shit. Copycatting is what TV's yeah. all about. You also mentioned that it was the premise of Gargoyles, the animated series. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. Gargoyles. Way, way better than Tarzan. <laughs> if you haven't seen Gargoyles, if you're too young for it, it was a Disney animated series in the 90s when the Disney was trying to compete with stuff like Batman the Animated Series. And they actually and pulled succeeded. it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool show about uh, a bunch of gargoyles who are actual living monsters. And uh, when sunlight hits them, they turn to stone. But at oh, night, they come alive. It's just during the day. They don't have to be in sunlight. I apologize. Yeah, they right. can be like under, underground and they still turn into stone. Uh, yeah, but during the day, they mm. turn to stone. And at night, they are free to do what? heroic things. And mm. there's this great, huge mythology involving the real Macbeth. And they're, like, transported yeah. <laughs> to New York by, like, this rich tycoon played by Jonathan Frakes. Well, it, <laughs> Marina Sirtis is in it as well. Yeah, and, there's a bunch and, of big tar- tra- Star Trek people. Well, also, it. Michael Dorn played the cyborg gargoyle. Oh, I forgot about that. And, and Brent Spiner played Puck, like, from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. That was Brent Spiner. Very nerdy. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it was good. It it was dark without being like oppressive, but it, like mm-hmm. it had like a good dark streak to it. It, it felt cool monsters. It felt really serious when you're twelve. Well, there's an episode of that mm-hmm. show where one of the gargoyles, because like again, they they meet a, a cop, a lady mm-hmm. cop, uh, who helps them acclimate to New York and solves adventures with them. And there's an episode in which one of the more naive gargoyles picks up her gun, not realizing mm. how serious it was, and he shoots her. Mm-hmm. And they deal with that. <laughs> and it's not like it's fine the next episode. Mm-hmm. Her, she's like, her arm is at least in a sling for a while, just to cement that there are real consequences in this world. And you know what? Kudos! Because in the yeah. 90s, that was real rare. Mm-hmm. That kind of seriousness. I do not understand why we don't have a Gargoyles movie. I, well, I don't understand why it's not more widely talked about. We have people still to this day, you know, touting the greatness of Batman the Animated Series. Gargoyles is at least as good. I mean, they brought back DuckTales. Yeah. You know, why, why not Gargoyles? Gargoyles is great. We're always talking about how Disney has always struggled to find mm. that young kind of action demographic mm. and that's one of the reasons why they had to buy Marvel and Star Wars because <laughs> they, they, they couldn't do it themselves can't quite find well, it they had Pirates of the Caribbean and like that's it everything else failed and they had gargoyles it's there, cool there the whole time problem solved mm. Keith David's still around he'll still do the voice who cares let's move it <laughs> that's right Keith David played uh, uh, Goliath it was cool but yeah instead uh, 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 we circle back to Tarzan no, oh, must we? Yeah, we okay. must. Well, okay, so to get back to the big story arc, and this came out in 2002. Uh, this was around the 2003. time of... Or 2003. Uh, this was around the time of Birds of Prey, which we've talked about on this mm-hmm. show before. And on the Birds of Prey episode, if you go back and listen to that, we talked about how this was a period when network TV was sort of in a, this weird transition period. A lot of cable shows were getting a lot of acclaim and a lot of uh, traction from the season-long or even series-long story arcs, which was kind of a novelty in network TV. It was still cases of the week, for the most part, well, up I, until this point. Well, again, we're, this is the dawn of mm. DVR. 
Yeah. Where people could, where you could, you didn't have to like physically tape something on a VHS, which was too complicated for some people, or at least not worth the bother. Ah, oh, it's a piece of cake. In any case, a lot of people weren't doing it. And so if you wanted to have a successful show, you needed to make sure people could drop in at any time because there was no guarantee they'd be able to watch it in order. Mm. They might watch it in reruns. So you, um, had, you had strong characters that would establish immediately and they could have the beginning, a middle, and the end of a case Within the span of the hour. Yeah, and if you watched a whole season, yeah, there would be arcs, but they wouldn't highlight it. It would mm. mostly be story of the week would be the most important thing. But with uh, the success of TV on home video, which really kicked off around the time 24 came out. Because the first season yeah. of 24, great show. First season, they couldn't, they hadn't quite cracked it, but quickly they figured it out. Yeah, but t- the whole t- Seasons two, three, and four are all pretty good at that and, show. And five. Two, two through five are kick-ass. Okay. After that, it started to suck. But, like, two through five are awesome. But, like, so if you remember 24, it hasn't been on in a while, so just as a primer, uh, it was this cool, like, Jerry Bruckheimer action show it's about a... Very, very a, post-9-11 tracking down uh, uh, terrorists from the CTU, the counterterrorism unit. Yeah. And uh, started Kiefer Sutherland, and the whole premise was every episode takes place over the course of one hour. And it was and all done... And a 24-season episode was a whole day. Yeah. Cool idea. Really, really cool idea. Problem was, you really can't fall into that in the middle. And so in order to keep the show going, they rushed. It was like one of the first times they'd ever done this. They rushed to get the whole season out on DVD before the second season came out. So you could catch up. And so you could rent it, you could Mm. buy it. And a lot of people did. And Mm. it started to change the paradigm. And all of a sudden, you can expect people to see the whole thing Mm. in order. And a lot of people rushed to meet that demand. And so we got shows like Lost, which got really continuity heavy. And we're still in that because DVR mm. got really popular. Well, digital streaming became digital, really yeah, easy. Yeah, digital and, streaming and you know, the whole notion of binge watching is now just a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in 2003, we were still moving through that. Like it was on the cusp. 24 was on the air at this time. Mm. But a lot of network shows were still stuck in the case of the week notion. And some shows were trying to strike a balance. They were trying to have a case of the week, but also have a, a, like series-long story arcs. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what the X-Files was doing. Mm, I um, think Buffy the Vampire Slayer did it a little better than okay. most. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we talked about it on Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey didn't quite do it. They were trying to tell this gigantic story, but at the same time, have a villain that can turn into water that week, and that's all they're dealing with that week. Um, and I feel like that's what they were doing with Tarzan, and they kind of gave up after a while. Yeah, there's a couple case of this. the week, case of the week. The cases are lame, just standard, and and they'd yeah. spend way too much time on the big story arc stuff with Mitch Pileggi and and Lucy Lawless, and nothing's and, happening in those and, arcs. It's all like, well, you want Tarzan for nefarious purposes? Well, I do. Well, okay and, then. And it's all set each time. There's a big twist in that. It's like set up for something that you think is going to be like the new premise. So it's like in this episode, I think it's like the fourth or the fifth where uh, he finally moves in with Lucy Lawless. It's like, okay, I've I've discovered who you are. I care about you. I don't want my brother to get a hand of you, a hold of you. So I'm going to hold you up in my big lavish apartment. And one of my rooms is a jungle room. And because the the series was so cheap and they had such a low budget, it's essentially just a room full of ficus trees. Like it's, <laughs> it's, It doesn't look like a jungle. They didn't yeah. have like a real set. They didn't go like film on location too often, like but, out outdoors in the jungle. But regardless, mm. yeah, I expected when he moved in with her, there to be a shift. 
Like, mm-hmm. oh, we, we've been taught to, we've been... Uh, uh, like he has a bat cave now. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, or, or just, I thought that now he's going to be, like, alone with her, and we'll see her, like, in private with people. We'll find out there's another side to her. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe she was responsible for his parents dying. Maybe she's not all that good. Maybe Mitch Pelegi isn't mm-hmm. the bad guy, or maybe he's not the worst guy, at least. Maybe she's even worse, or has more sinister designs, or, I don't know, maybe she wants to hypnotize him. I don't know, there's gotta be something. <laughs> something, right? No, she's just nice. She's just, yeah, plays a Lucy Lawless It's not very interesting. Character. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. half the show for a while becomes Sarah Wayne Kelly's and Lucy Lawless arguing mm-hmm. over about, you know, like, not even arguing, just sort of politely talking about what are we going to do about Tarzan? Yeah, should we adopt him? What do we do? I don't know. That sounds like then, a lot of paperwork. Then, yeah, once in episode six, uh, Jane goes in to see Tarzan, and he's underneath a, a fountain of water, and he's bathing. Yeah. And you think that's going to be the moment. Finally. No, she just says, and he turns around, and she sees his wiener. <laughs> like, there it is. And, we and don't, because it's, it's on the well, WB. Well, yeah, it's on the WB. But, but, yeah. but, and she averts her eyes. No! <laughs> That's when you whip your shirt off and you start making out with the naked jungle man. No. See, this is this. Can't is, you give me something? The mortal instrument says it all over Tarzan. I was going to say that right now. Mortal instruments just knows it. Um, and even then, I think mortal instruments backs off way too much. Well, the last three or four episodes. Uh, so Mitch Pelegi has coerced the witness into saying Tarzan's going to kill him. Uh, Tarzan, The witness, by the way, is like he, he has, uh, he's mentally impaired in some way. He, he's, he's got extreme anxiety. Okay. Um, possibly agoraphobic, but it, it's kind uh, of generic. Yeah, this this sort of va- vaguely on the spectrum, but never defined. Non-threatening, but has serious mental health issues. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's strong-armed into accusing Tarzan of murder. Uh, everyone's just like, Jane, you you didn't tell us that. That's kind of a big deal, you being a cop and all. And she's just like, well. <laughs> and uh, they go on the run. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole episode where they go off, I don't know, the, the Catskills or the Adirondacks or something. And uh, and they're they're off in the woods. And again, he teaches her how to sexily climb trees and, and how to like listen to the woods. And, yeah. and they swing on a rope swing. Yeah. It's not even a vine. You dummies. Can't you get anything right? Yeah, because there's so many vines oh, up I know, in like, I, I northern I upstate New York. Like, I, I, it's not really a thing. It'd be cool if they'd been there, like, I understand they're like in New Jersey, but yeah. I kind of wish they just snuck into an actual arboretum. Yeah. <laughs> like, just there with the peacocks. Just like, hello. Here's what I wanted this show. I wanted it to be cheaper, and I wanted it to be like... Sleazier. Well, not, not sleazy, just more lurid. I guess sleazy, that's, sleazy that's, fits there's too. There's a thin line but, yeah. between sleazy and lurid. It's like that—that—that's that, that, clearly what. Yeah, I guess in every third episode they seem to be want to, to they want to be doing, but they're not doing it. Yeah, um, it all ends with them like fighting off a couple of bad cops. One of whom. Oh, that's right. Along this, along the way, the bad cops find out that. He's he could be guilty of killing a cop, and they go after him. They find out where he is, and they they go completely rogue, and they're mm-hmm. going to kill him, and they're just bad cops. One of them is played by Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, like one of his first roles too. It's sort of <laughs> just like, is that Sterling K. Brown? Like he was mm-hmm. young. Like it's weird, and it's really is one of his first credits on IMDb. It's really interesting. Um, they fight them off. They go back to New York. Uh, Tarzan. Kinda, and it kind of peters out. Like, there's not a climax to all of this. No, well, again, it's hard to tell if this... Because this, again, the last episode of this show aired on November 23rd, 2003. That's eight episodes. That's not even a half season. Mm. This isn't like we only kept... This isn't like mid-season replacement. We only had 13 episodes. This show just stopped. It didn't end. 
it stopped. It was put out. It was put out of its misery. It was pulled from the air. It was yeah. properly canceled. So like this wasn't like a cool cliffhanger to try to mm. keep you on. This is just middle of the show. We're done. No thank you. We tried, mm. but the show ends in like this weirdly complicated episode where Sarah Wayne Callies is finding out that like the witness was on anti-anxiety medications, but he had just come off of them and he was having hallucinations as side effects. So They're his testimony is... him in court. And which is weird because he's Tarzan, already lying. <laughs> take Tarzan to trial and... Uh, Don't care. It's, it's like they, they so ran out of ideas. Tarzan, Tarzan do, do agrees remember? to like live with Mitch mm-hmm. Pelegi and like mm-hmm. help him like inherit the Greystoke estate, but then he like stops his heart rate like secret agent super dragon <laughs> and when Sir Wayne Callie's just like well how did you do that he's like you can't how did you learn to do that um, was there a class in the jungle as, as it turns out apes can just do that ah yeah who know so, so if you got a dead chimp in your apartment make extra sure <laughs> that they're not in some sort of death coma and then uh, mm. uh, they're gonna continue a pace and mm. did Mitch Blakey go to jail or something at the end is that what happened uh, you he, saw this he, was, he saw, was ousted I but, finished, but he, didn't, he didn't go to jail I finished the show like a couple weeks ago and you like just finished just it finished so like, it, yeah. yeah and then that's and that's, that's Tarzan. That's, that's Tarzan for you. You found a quote from Eric Kripke. Yeah, uh, Eric Kripke, the creator of the show, um, was was interviewed, and they actually put this quote on on the Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kripke did not like the show, calling it "quote a piece of crap." Uh, here's the quote from Wikipedia. I'll stand behind the pilot. It has a beginning, a beginning, a middle, and the problem. It ends. Uh, I was hungry to have anything in production, so I wrote a 50-page story that ended. Then it got made, and I had something in production, and all of my dreams come, came true. They said to me, let's do 12 more. I said, oh, wait, what's the story? <laughs> so Tarzan was a hell ride in every way, and we only did eight before they wisely put us out of our misery. This is the creator of the show. The creator of the show is openly admitting this is a terrible idea. I guess it was a learning experience, and again, he got good. Mm. His first, again, I, dro- I dropped out of Supernatural after a while, after like eight seasons, but he was on for the first five, and those five seasons are impeccable pulp television. Mm. They're really great. Okay. Um, I liked what I saw of Timeless, although I didn't keep up with it. He he knows how to do a good TV show. Mm. He had to learn from some mistakes, and this was clearly one of them. This yeah. is a—it's clear well, this, how this move, how this show got made. Mm-hmm. Sexy Tarzan, Sex, cool. Look, sexy Tarzan in the big city is fine, and that's, that's a great a way to pitch idea. a show. And this is the WB. It's the early two thousands. This is the time for it. I just wish that they had committed to something. Yeah, they they needed to have a promise. And again, mm-hmm. it's odd to me his story. That like I wrote a fifty page. Tarzan pilot, mm. and then it didn't occur to me to figure out what happened next. Were you hoping it would fail? Like you, it didn't like occur to you to think about like where the show. What's well, the show? What's clear, your pitch? In, in that quote, quote, he's clearly admitting that he wasn't thinking ahead. He wasn't. It's, he wasn't writing a, a series. He was writing a single pilot. And that's interesting. That's a very movie way to mm. tell a story where you only focus on one movie at a time, and then if it's good, then you worry about a sequel. Mm-hmm. But you just put all of your effort into making the one standalone thing good. But it's television. You need to know what the show is. Why are we coming back week after week? Mm -hmm. Why is this serialized instead of done and won? And again, you take this premise, just do one movie. 
Mm. It's fine. You can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got you to, gotta, like, come up with more creative action sequences and maybe get a cast with more chemistry. But the concept is fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as a show, this doesn't know what it is. It bounces back and forth, really confused. Mm. It, um, it, it, it's not enough action to be an action show. There's uh-huh. not enough romance for it to be a romance show. Uh, Sarah the Wayne, intrigue is not interesting. The cast, the supporting cast is fine. Sarah mm. Wayne Callies is Fine, although they don't uh, know what to do with their character. I think she's really miscast. I, yeah. I think the problem is they don't know who to cast because they don't know who the character is. That, that's fair. So there's a version of this where she'd be great. There are also versions of this in which you need some, which, which you need Leighton Meester, for God's sake. <laughs> um, you, hell, make this a teen show. Why not teen Tarzan? Yeah, like, look, he's a teenager. He's found in the jungle. He was there for, like, 16 years or something like that. Now mm. he's 18. And... He's running around New York, and Jane Porter is like going to some fancy prep academy or mm-hmm. something. And you can make that work. And he he lives in the tree outside her dorm room, and they they sure. bond over. And she's sort of, sort of like this weird sort of fantasy sex god that appears to her at night. And, and then yeah. it turns out that her rich family is somehow connected to the Greystokes and like the mm-hmm. whole big secret over how his parents died. Yeah, cool. That's a story. Mm. It's more WB. <laughs> Again, make it younger. You're WB. Mm. Get, get, <laughs> That's get, your wheelhouse. Give her a group of best friends so you have like more characters that she can converse with and you know, bring out a little bit more of her character. Um, if this show had lasted 100 episodes, oh golly! I mean, they need to find a premise, and yeah. they would have needed to find it real, real, real fast. And it's like the if they had gone with like what the audience clearly had in their head. What do you mm-hmm. think? They're doing a modern-day Tarzan set in the big city, and it's on the WB, and it airs in 2003. You have a show in your head already. Mm-hmm. Make that show. Just make it. Here's it's what I want it's to, already there. Here's how I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. Here's how I want to fix it. I want... You, okay, so like you're given this show. Mm. We've kicked Eric Kripke off. He didn't know what he was doing. I love you, Eric Kripke, but that's the narrative I'm copying in my head mm. so that I can finish your show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what are you going to do? Okay, okay. Uh, give me like three episodes more this season okay. to set up for next season. And mm. at the end of the three episodes, Jane dies. Ooh, okay. Jane dies tragically mm. in Tarzan's arms. And it's not like... It's like it's, it's like, like, like Spider-Man. He saves somebody while Gwen Stacy dies. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens is the death of Jane... Uh, stirs him to try to take up her cause and right wrongs. Okay. She's a very by-the-book, doing-the-right-thing cop. So he He becomes a vigilante. He becomes a vigilante, Mm. and he, he, by the end of those three episodes, Lucy Laws and Mitch Pelegi, that whole bit resolves itself, and he's Mm. lost his whole fortune, and he's just, he can't get back to the jungle where he wanted to go in one episode. He was one episode, he was literally about to go on a plane Mm. and just go back. We would have been fine. But here it's like he doesn't even have the money to do that. He's just living in Central Park, and it's just from his perspective, and it's him fighting crimes. And then, like, maybe you keep Leighton Meester around. Okay. As, like, his connection to, like, mm-hmm. a normal world. So, like, if he needs something, like, so he's you, actually you going to, like, a store or something like that. You, you know? want to abandon the bodice-ripping aspect of this. The romance I, is you just out. Add a new love interest. Like, maybe you can even argue that there's, like, some connection with, like, Leighton Meester, because mm. he was younger than Sarah Wayne Callies, and mm. that's how it plays. Like, you could play that mm. up a little mm. bit, or give him other love interests over time. But, like, the whole Jane storyline here, you've already stagnated it. You, mm. you, you were refusing to go anywhere with it, and once you do go with it, 
what they're gonna get married and settle down no mm. you've already ruined that whole relationship have them meet a new Jane. Jane's a common name. I guess they couldn't do the bodice ripping too much because once Tarzan and Jane have sex, it's like, what do you do after that? Yeah. It's like, it would be like if Mulder and Scully had sex in season one. It's like, well, what are we going to, yeah. yeah, there's no tension anymore. I think if you, I think if you, if she dies before they really like mm. culminate. Their love consummate is the word you're looking for. Yeah, all right. But before before they they mm. you know there's any kind of closure, mm. he's gonna live with that. She was his first love. Okay, and that will drive him, and it becomes a bit more tragic. Yeah, you, it's, you wanna, it's contrived you, and pulpy, I was about to say you want him to be Batman, but all right, that's, yeah. Batman wanted to be Tarzan in the first that's place. True. I already established that at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I think let's just lean into it, mm. and then again. Give him another love interest over time. Give him multiple love interests over time. Why not? Mm. But this whole will they or won't they thing is just tedious in this show. That can work. Mm. It can be exciting or well, sexy it, it, it or suspenseful. If, but if like their uh, relationship is fleshed out or they have some other kind of working relationship beyond their romance. Yeah. Uh, where the romance would sort of interfere. Like on, on the show Selfie, there was that whole will they, won't they I thing. was going to bring that up. They have uh, yeah. really good chemistry on that show, mm. and they have very different perspectives, and they uh, do other things yeah. together, and it yes, works. Karen Gillan is a good actress, and John Cho is a terrific actor, and uh, yeah, they, they're able to really make their two types of characters clash and yet have that attraction. They have chemistry. What do these people have? Nothing. It's like you're watching a, a block of concrete trying to romance another block of concrete. It's just not interesting to watch. It's a tragedy is what it is. And this, based on this premise that you have this big, handsome man and, you know, a, a flustered city woman falling in love with him, falling in lust with him. At least. And they're not exploring the lust at all. I'm not sure if they were afraid to explore the lust, or if they just were too distracted by all the other stuff. I would love to see more TV shows. Mm. I'm, I'm, I, it's rare in movies, but I'm talking about in TV shows, serialized programming, mm. where the protagonists are in a romantic relationship the entire time. There's always this will they or won't they, who's going to yeah. fall in love with who. And listen, I get that. Mm. I get that. But that's really only like one part of a relationship, and we're just stuck on it like a broken record. Mm. Like, oh, will they or won't they get married? You realize that marriage is actually more interesting most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, the that kind of push and pull, especially if they have like an interesting mm. job. Mm. You know, like I, it, it's so, it's so lame that moonlighting got bad after they got together. Yeah, like it should get more interesting. <laughs> Like, I think that there's, I mean, there's this whole uh, pervasive notion all throughout most of modern Western entertainment that the audience is single, yeah. that they're not, that maybe they're dating, but that they are unmarried. And that means dramas that depict the everyday life, everyday married life are going to be really rare. And a lot of the people who make these things aren't going to know how to dramatize that. And it bothers me because I get like, okay, you want it to be like a date movie. And well, you and go, also, like, also you want it to conclude. You want, you know, there to be a lot of tension. And then the, the conclusion is they get married. That goes back to Commedia dell'arte where people just get married at the end. I get that. But I, I think that's only mm. one way to do it. I think if you want to look at, Cinema as a depiction of romantic ideal, it doesn't have to be about the chase. It can mm. be about portraying idealized mm. ac 
actual relationships. That, that like, was... I, I want to aspire to Nick and Nora Charles with less booze. Because <laughs> they are functioning alcoholics, and oh, that's probably not that, good. That's but, like, for sure. scale that back. Or, or, or the Adams Family is a perfect example here. Oh, there you go. They love each other. There was there's, Love each other. I can think of one, like, mainstream romantic comedy uh, about a couple that got married at the beginning. And it was about sort of them struggling to stay together. And it was a, a film nobody talks about anymore called Forget Paris oh. with Billy Crystal. And I was thinking uh, a Palm Beach story with Preston Sturges. Well, the, there's that one as well. But they, it's rare. And right. there's also like, you know, Ernst Lubitsch did a lot. But yeah. um, uh, Some stories of divorce that does or doesn't almost happen, like the story of us. Oh, there you go. The Rob Ryan movie no mm. one talks about. I didn't see that one, but yeah. I, I liked it at the yeah. time, but I didn't know any context at the time. Like I, I hadn't been married, <laughs> oh, okay. so I don't know. For all I know, it's, it's terrible, but at the time yeah. In, in, in Forget Paris, it's about how you know their courting was great. Now you're married. What do you do? Yeah. And, and what do you do? You know, when you begin to notice those habits that you know your partner is doing that drive you. Well, crazy. those are all the best parts of that uh, Judd Apatow movie. This is forty. Yeah, that's, which that's another good. Which flounders a, when it has a plot, and mm. its the plot is all about oh, we're so poor. I don't know. Sell your mansion. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> that's you're not that poor. You have bills, mm. but you're actually very liquid right now. You can totally <laughs> sell some of your rich people's stuff and mm. be. Fine, but oh, no, all the only, actual, only one of you will have to have a business. But the actual like relationship stuff that has nothing mm. to do with how much money you got. Mm. There's actually really good moments in that, like yeah. uh, like uh, uh, hey, would you uh, scope out this one hard to see part of my body because I'm worried I have cancer? Yeah, yeah. That's a really awkward moment, but that's mm. what you have a partner for. <laughs> no one else is going to do that, or uh, mm. um, you know, just uh, mm. uh, stuff like that. Like that's the kind of thing that makes it kind of interesting and. Mm. Yeah, no, it's just I, I'm just I would love to see more stories about people just in a relationship, yeah. and then you can have other conclusions, character arcs, mm-hmm. but the character arc doesn't have to be will I or won't I ever get married. Yeah, the character arc can be will I ever believe in myself enough mm-hmm. to pursue the job I want or like right. this you know whatever or put on this play. I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Like there's. Other stories to tell in people's lives, and we get really hung up on this one. Yeah, well, and, and again, it all comes from what I said: yeah. this assumption that the the average consumer is a single person. And you look at you know TV commercials, products; it's all geared toward winning someone, not being in a, in a relationship. Well, and it's this weird thing that happened where. Mm. For many, many years, the demographics mm-hmm. for a lot of different types of art were at least socially enforced as having an age cap. Like, mm. superhero stories. Yeah. Suppo- you were supposed to. I disagree with it, but there was a time when it was implied that you were supposed to grow out of that. Mm. Like, oh, you're in college? You should stop reading superhero comics. Like, mm. that was the thing. And so, like, the, the target demo for those comics was always focused on mm. one young demographic. Well, but they, now that they, has shifted. Well, they... they Still are, but yeah, no, it's, they're not, it's, it's more college age now. But no, yeah. but no, but even so, those are like hit movies everyone like mm. enjoys and at least goes to see on a summer blockbuster level. Everyone can enjoy those, and it's not seen as shameful to think Captain America is cool. It's you, not. It's well, it's the mainstream now. Mm. So when Captain America is ma- not cool. I'm trying not to hurt you. I'm 
trying not to hurt. Look, I've tried really hard with Captain America, but I just can't do it with him. I can't do it with Captain America. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to move on. Thor Ragnarok turned me around on Thor, so anything's possible. Okay, I'm impressed because you are so anti-Thor. Because Thor Thor is dumb character, but Thor Ragnarok is an enjoyable film, gosh darn it. It sure is. But that's my point. Like, you Mm. know, nowadays... The age demographic mm. that you're expected to absorb pulp storytelling, mm. it's all ages. Mm. It's fine. Mm. Your grandparents can go see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and they'll love it. Mm. It's good. It's not shameful. Like it's it should never have been, but it was for a while. And now we've moved on past that, and now we can should be start thinking about telling stories that appeal to different age groups because there are a ton of people mm. who are in their forties now. <laughs> There's a ton, and guess what? They mm. like superhero stories too. They but like you know what else fantasy they, stories too. They but like, you know what else they like? They also like stories about adults doing adult stuff. True. And that that's what I'm missing here. I realize that. It, I realize ha- having want... a bunch of adolescent stuff has never been the problem. My point is, it doesn't need to be adolescent in its construct. Mm. It can have a fun fanciful premise okay. but it can be portrayed look at something mm. like hereditary mm. a lot of horror is still gauged or, or geared to mm. younger demographics hereditary mm. is a story mostly I, I, about I disagree with that but yeah <sighs> they mm. still make stuff like truth or dare Oh, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's still mm. like an expectation that younger people are going to be excited to see something like Unfriended, mm. you know, or or, ha- or even like a really good one that I think everyone can enjoy, like Happy Death Day. Mm. That's there still that's still gearing towards a young demo. Mm. Happy Death Day is so good. It's so good. <laughs> but like you look at something like Hereditary, that is a story. You know, yeah, there's a there's a teenager in it, mm. but it's mostly about parents who are worried that a history of mental illness is going to cascade down through their family. Mm. That is an adult story told yeah. through a fanciful, fantastical mm. metaphor. And, and younger audiences rejected it. It's uh, only adults enjoy that movie. But it still made eighty million dollars. Mm. Like it's, it was successful. The Exorcist is not about kids. The Exorcist is about you know mm. mature adult problems. You can tell stories for adults that happen to have fun premises. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Like if you're going to have fun premises, make some for adults. Mm. Make some about adult problems because eventually the kids are going to grow up and they're going to want some of those. <laughs> they just keep getting older, you know that, right? And they're not you're not telling them to put away all these stories. You better start making some films for them when they hit 40. That's what I hate about blockbusters. I keep getting older, they stay the same age. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Yeah. So, Touche. Um so that is it for Tarzan. Was it canceled too soon? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> No, it was not canceled too soon. All right, we have a uh, it, 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 it and it, yeah, it, it was interrupted midstream, and that's not the problem. The problem no. is it's just was not well put together. It wasn't well characterized. Tarzan was boring. He wasn't a good actor. Whoever hit the emergency break on Tarzan mm. did their did job. the right thing. Yeah, yeah, sometimes sometimes they mess up, but this time it was like no, they they let but, it. But this thing's not working, guys. We need to stop right it, away. After you had eight episodes mm. to figure out what the show was, you didn't. Here's. We're done. Here's the one one place where it excelled, and uh. it was in the soundtrack. Oh yeah, uh, this was a time when soundtracks outsold movie tickets. You know, you could recoup losses on a, a movie by selling soundtrack records. Dead Man on Campus made its money back with its soundtrack sales. Godzilla made huge amounts of money with uh, soundtrack sales. This one, uh, the, you look on the Wikipedia page, and it has a list of all of the songs that appeared in this show. Theme song, not so good. Things aren't quite bad, actually. Uh, yeah. It's by a, a band called Palo Alto, which my wife assured me is not a good band. <laughs> 
I, I, I believe her. She knows these things. And I suspect the, the quality mm. of the soundtrack, or at least the, the significance of mm. the bands, is why this is hard to find on home video. It's entirely possible. Because they got to clear all that music. Get the rights. Like, yeah. yeah, Sarah McLaughlin is on here. And mm. like I said, Nika Costa. Avril Lavigne. Dido uh, shows up in one episode. Longview. These, East, Mountains, was yeah, East Mountain South. These are all Nora like... Nora Jones. Yeah, these are like notable artists who have big hits. And uh, Dido. It was, yeah, difficult Michelle to... Michelle Branch. Difficult yeah, to put together. Good soundtrack. I'm not sure if there is a soundtrack CD. Surely there should be if there isn't. I don't think it would be the best part of the show. Um, mm. But yeah, no, like mm. it, it was not a hit. Uh, we need to, we're going to do a letters episode again real soon. However, mm. uh, we're going to read a letter on this episode because we got a letter from mm. the listener who sent us Tarzan. Thank you, listener. Uh, they they knew, was, uh, his name is John. He knew that we mm. were looking for Tarzan. He found Tarzan and he sent us Tarzan. Mm-hmm. So here's a letter from John. <laughs> hey guys, I sent in Tarzan, so for kicks, I subjected myself to what you two do and watched the whole thing in oh, a few no. days. The pilot episode was a real slog, mm-hmm. and then episode two made me long for the clear writing and plotting of the pilot. <laughs> I felt genuinely bad for the actor playing Jane's boyfriend Michael in this episode, the way they had this poor bastard flop mm-hmm. back and forth between caring, concerned boyfriend and evil, dirty cop was bordering on cruelty. Killing the character <laughs> off was a mercy. I think episodes three through five were the series at its strongest. John struggling to understand this world while helping the police solve crimes made for a few relatively enjoyable episodes. Those are the case of the week episodes that we were talking about. The series started to grow on me during that stretch. Unfortunately, the turn back to the Clayton family fighting over control of the Greystoke Corporation lost that smidgen of goodwill. Richard is such a mustache-twisting villain, that's uh, Mitch Pelegi's character, Mm. that it's near impossible to take him seriously. His sister, that would be Lucy Lawless, is barely a character. She exists purely to be the nice-ish one who opposes Richard. Episode 7 hurt me. (laughs) It's set largely in Hamilton County in upstate New York. Mm. By weird coincidence, my family owns a place near there. So I'm real familiar with the area. I've probably driven past the lake they mention a few hundred times. And... Just no. <laughs> there is a distinct look to the Adirondacks that whatever location this episode uses misses by a mile. Mm. You could call that nitpicking on my part, but considering the amount of time you two spend griping mm. about geographic use of Los Angeles, I think you have to give me this one. Oh, absolutely. No, we're, we would never stop that sort of thing. And the idea that two city boy cops would pop up there and quickly tracked them to the right spot and successfully hunt them through the woods, we're not even in the same ballpark with plausibility here. Sam and Jane are the highlights of this show. I like both of these actors and enjoyed their chemistry together. Mm. Enough that they almost covered for the near absence of personality that is John. He sure is pretty. That's, that's Tarzan. He sure is pretty and can do a hell of an ape impersonation, but that's all he's got going for him. <laughs> do a hell of an ape impersonation. He just, he's just shirtless and in jeans and barefoot and walking he's around in all fours. And grunts like a lot. Constantly in the midst of an improv exercise. Anyway, back to the letter. He, he looks like he ran dry is what happened. Like he can't, forgot his line. He's just trying to pose for a while until the prompter can flip to the right page in the script. I was in a, a high school production of Into the Woods. And Into the Woods mm. is great because you can do the first half of the play mm. and it's self-contained. And that's what a lot of high schools do. Because they just stop it there. It just, yeah. it's, it's a perfectly satisfying story in and of itself. It, does, it misses some of the nuance, but mm. it works. Um, so we did that. And uh, the guy who played the cow... In one in one evening, we did like four nights of it. Mm. One evening, he walked out like 
two scenes too early. Oh no! And eventually, he just wouldn't leave. <laughs> and then finally, someone was just like, "Just do something!" And then he yelled, "Moo!" And then he died like two scenes too early. Oh no! So he just ended the play. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! It's amazing. Um, so these things happen. Was Tarzan canceled too soon? No, John okay. continues. Mm. No. 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 If I hadn't wanted to contribute my review to the show, I never would have made it past the first couple episodes. The writing is scattershot and far more concerned with the story elements that I hated mm. than the bits I found even a little interest in. Great show, guys. Having given myself a taste of what you do this week, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I'm glad you do, because the podcast is a lot of fun. Thank mm. you. But I can never manage to keep this up so long. My head is off to you. You're tougher than I am. John. John, thank you very, very much. But please don't do that. We're professionals. I've actually known John for a long time uh, oh, okay. in like the, the online writing mm. uh, community. He's been a big supporter of us like from the beginning. Oh, okay. And I just want to say a mm. very special thank you to John for uh, not not just writing in, but sending us the show and always being really, really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we do this for a living. <laughs> and when you see, again, we talked about, you know, the significance of after you see all the good stuff, the importance of seeing the bad stuff. Mm. When you see everything, the bad stuff is like a weird shot of adrenaline. Yeah. It just, after a while, you're just like, cause I know most people like watch something like really, really bad and go, Oh, it's so bad. Why would you watch that? And I'm just like, that gets me back to normal. <laughs> it does sort of it. It writes you. Uh, it points kind of points to how difficult it is to get it right. Yeah. Even though it seems like it's an easy thing to do, I find bad TV and bad mm. movies very humanizing because mm. it reminds you that the people making them are fallible. Yeah, they're just people yeah, yeah. trying things out, and when you see mistakes, things that clearly don't work, or ideas that don't follow through, or could have been done better. You think, you, you know, you get a different connection. That doesn't mean I'm going to say it's good. Mm. That doesn't mean I'm going to give him a free pass. But I really respond to that as an audience member. And I find it exciting and endearing to watch things mm. that aren't perfect. Yeah. yeah Although yeah. things that are perfect are even better because mm. they're perfect. <laughs> so I digress. Mm. Point is... Um, We'll tell you if the show is worth watching, but generally <laughs> if, speaking, leave this to the professionals. If, is if our you, advice. If you do want to follow follow along, you may. By all means, but beware. Yeah, this is not for the faint of heart. Mm. What we do. Um, so that, mm. ladies and germs, uh, it is Tarzan. Is the Tars and. <laughs> the Tars. It was not really worth <clears throat> the build-up. <laughs> Again, I've been looking yeah, for this since we started the show, so I'm really grateful we found it, and I'm glad we finally like got it out of my head so I can start focusing and finding other weird stuff, but... Mm. Although, uh, speaking of shows that are, have long been in the coming... Yes! Uh, thanks to a listener... Uh, we are finally going to be tackling one of my personal Holy Grails. Yep, on the next episode, on the of, next Cancel episode of Cancel Too Soon. Uh, a show that I watched uh, intently and taped and rewatched as many times as I could was a little-talked-about Fox sketch comedy show from the early 90s. It, ha it was uh, created by Julie Brown. Not downtown Julie Brown. I was about the, to ask. The comedian Julie Brown. Okay. Uh, it had Wayne Knight 
It had Jennifer Aniston. It had Tom Kenny, who plays uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, and a, a few other notable cast members. Uh-huh. Alan Ruck showed up in it. Uh, you uh, said Jennifer Aniston. Right? Jennifer, yeah, I did say Jennifer Aniston. Okay, just making sure. And uh, it was really strange. <laughs> it was. Uh, it had uh, animated interstitials provided by Bill Plimpton. And nobody talks about this show. Yeah, it's kind of gone. I actually, I, I, I have a suspicion that when I start watching it, mm. I might recognize bits because it was on at a time when I watched a lot of TV. Mm. Uh, I might be like, oh, I thought that was like, I don't know, Kids in the Hall or in Living Color or some mm. other sketch comedy show from around the same time. I don't know. Mm. We will find out. I'm looking forward to checking it, it out because this is one you've been wanting to review mm. for so long. Uh, it is called The Edge. And uh, I think when you watch it, you'll probably understand me a little bit better. The, I think this, I understand this is one, you great. Well, it's true. You understand me just fine. But you'll, you'll see why I dig on this so as hard as I did. And I'm looking forward to revisiting it because I actually haven't seen it for a little while. Like, I've seen bits over the years that right. have sort of popped up on YouTube here and there. But the whole series has been hard to track down. And uh, But we, we have access now. Someone we're gonna, we're gonna has everything. <laughs> so if you have it, by all means, mm. let us know. Uh, coming up in the month of January, we got a bunch of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. A couple of shows we've had a lot of requests for. We're working on getting some fun special guests to help us review uh, some neat sci-fi shows uh, uh, of 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 recent past and your. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna have a poll up for some of the more esoteric sitcoms we've been able to collect over the years that we haven't gotten around to yet. Uh, shows like the short-lived Ferris Bueller's Day Off sitcom or uh, Charlie Hoover. Uh, which is about a guy who has an invisible best friend played by Sam Kinison, um, and a whole bunch of other things as well. So you want to go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash canceled too soon. And for the $5 a month tier, everyone gets to vote on one episode of one of our shows every single month. Usually it's canceled too soon. Sometimes it's the canceled too soon monthly movie, which mm-hmm. is a show that we do for all of our Patreon subscribers. We recently did home for the holidays, which is an early Christmas slasher that predates the invention of the slasher. <laughs> so that was really interesting to explore. We also have some episodes of the randomizer that are up at our lowest tier is our Christmas present to you. Uh, we did Christmas episodes, random Christmas episodes of Gilmore girls and psych, uh, which neither Whitney or I had seen, and we were trying to piece together what those shows must be. And we had special guests Alonzo Duralde and Joelle Monique to tell us, yeah. yeah, to tell us what we got wrong and why the shows were so popular. All of those things are available to you now, but we also have other stuff as well. We're going to be uh, recording uh, a new letters episode real, real soon. So be sure to email us canceled too soon at gmail dot com. Uh, we also have our other podcast, Only the Best where we review every single nominee uh, for Best Picture at the Academy Awards in order. Mm-hmm. And I think we're on the sixth annual Academy Awards coming up. Yeah, six, I believe. And it's some real exciting films, and I'm really, really stoked to tell you about them because we're starting to get to the stuff I really know. <laughs> um, and uh, and a whole bunch of other things as well. So patreon.com slash canceled too soon. That's with one L. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. We're available on iTunes and other places where podcasts are podcasted. Uh, if you can't afford to be a patron... Totally understandable, but if you want to help us out, tell a friend, and by all means, please leave a review. The five-star ratings help a lot. If you think we're only worth four, fine. If you think (laughs) we're only worth three, aw. Mm. If you think we're worth two or less, damn, I'm sorry. Why are you listening? (laughs) Um, But uh, leave a review as Mm. well. That really helps people find the show. 
and gives us more opportunity to reach more people. And uh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. I really love doing this, and uh, thank you very much for being with us on this journey. Uh, we're on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that is a wrap, folks. We'll see you next year. Oh,